This fall, Bill invited me to participate in the Advent sermon series inspired by the writings of Jan Richardson, a poet, painter, and theologian. During December one year, Jan Richardson's 62-year-old husband died very unexpectedly following routine surgery. That forever changed the way in which she approached the season of Advent, waiting for God's promised Messiah. She noticed what she'd previously overlooked about the people within the gospel story surrounding Jesus' birth of how they responded to the events foisted upon them. So Bill titled this series, Advent Practices for the Shortest Days and the Longest Nights from Her Insight. This second sermon in the series asks us to consider singing a new song. You see, our pandemic demands that we look and listen and plan and engage in our lives without any illusions of what it was supposed to be or what we thought we should do, and instead meet the truth as it's laid bare. So too with scripture. These biblical texts read during a pandemic reveal characters' raw emotions, palpable fear and defiant courage in ways that we might not have noticed before. And although this is the last sermon I will preach at Kenilworth Union, rather than turn our attention away from Advent and today's theme of hope, I think this is exactly the text and practice that we all need as we press forward in this time of pandemic and transition. So we're gonna pick up directly where Bill left off last week. He spoke of the Advent practice of finding the comfort amongst your friends. You see, the Gospel of Luke tells the story that once Mary learned of her miraculous conception, without haste, she visited her older cousin Elizabeth, who also had conceived despite her advanced years. Without uttering a word, the babe in Elizabeth's womb jumped for joy at the divine presence of life in Mary. And this is when Mary responds with the longest speech uttered by a woman in Scripture. Now, the video in our worship service is something that Lisa Bond pulled from safekeeping of our musicians offering Mary's Magnificat many years ago with this text and the familiar fanfare of choir and orchestra in in Latin. And thanks be to God for the gift of music that we are able to include that in today's worship service. But preparing for this sermon, I realized that I have never heard this text spoken aloud in worship, nor in its entirety. This year, I invite you to hear the words of a young, unwed girl whose pregnancy puts her life in peril and who everyone thought should have just been afraid and ashamed and silent and subjected to the will of others. But before I read, please pray with me now. Dear God, in this season of Advent, unlike any others, our lives are filled with warning signs and drumbeats of lament. We pray that you will silence all the noise around us and make space in our hearts and minds for your words to startle us again with the hope that only you can provide. Enter our lives as you entered Mary's that we might turn to live to your glory, singing songs of praise never heard before. Amen. I invite you to listen for God's word as I read from the first chapter of Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of this servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Here ends our reading. Scarcity, long known among the poor, startles all of us who live comfortable lives, absolutely me included. The shortages created by this pandemic of toilet paper, peanut butter, and frozen pizzas, and the loss of our well-manicured routines, and the loss of being able to touch those we love, are the nagging reminders of the slippery slope in Maslow's hierarchy of needs that we are now falling down. The scarcity of ventilators and vaccines, tests and medical care wrench a visceral empathy within us for the others who have consistently lived day to day worrying about access to life-sustaining essentials. We have a glimpse of what it might be like to live as a poor person always on the edge, and yet we're not. Amid this crisis, we look for hope, for a future with solid ground beneath our feet. The late Reverend Dr. Peter Gomes of Harvard Chapel argues that optimism requires some looking away from the horrors and perhaps self-deception with which we live. But he writes, I quote, hope is not so much an act of will as an act of imagination and courage. This first Sunday of Advent begins in hope as people long for the divine to enter into human life. Advent is, in many ways, the opposite of Christmas with its gifts and celebrations, command performances, things that we do. Advent instead slows us down to imagine and to hope, not in the belief that we get it right, but that God will get it right, and we will be surprised. Hope does not distract us from our plight, whether foisted upon us or man-made, but hope asks us to imagine and work with God and others for what will sustain all of life. We know that we need God's presence among us in order for us to see God's vision for humanity. And as we consider these awe-inspired texts which have been possessed, which have always possessed the power to inspire our faith, reading them in a pandemic, and I ask you to pardon the pun, exposes our socially distant dance with scripture that we've had. Too often we're concerned with performing the text or letting others' interpretations veil the meaning. But now we have the time to linger as long as we like, settle in, and become intimate, inhaling God's word. There are always two worlds, the world as has been told to us and the way it could be. One world operates on power, ego, and success, and the world as it could be operates out of mercy and gratitude. Scripture makes abundantly clear that those furthest from the seats of power are often generally nearest to the heart of things and are the ones chosen by God to turn the tide towards God's will. In the Old Testament, Miriam, Deborah, and Hannah sang of new tomorrows. Sarah, Leah, and Ruth bore the future within their bodies, each an unlikely agent, for God to give new life. 
Despite such a history of God acting in human life, first century Palestine handed Mary a life story that relegated her to servitude and silence. But steeped in Jewish tradition, Mary knows the story of men and women who God favored. She knew the story of God's covenant with Israel and of the promises made by the prophets, all of those sung in her Magnificat. After hearing that from the angel Gabriel of her divine pregnancy, she embraces the only thing she has, God within her. And she remembers what we so often forget. Our lives begin and end with God's grace. And for such a gift, all she and we can say is thank you. So Mary begins and sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. She begins with praise. It's an unaccompanied voice, confident of her place in God's grand story. But often all we hear is Mary's praise. This year, we hear the entire hymn. Mary moves from praise and proclaims that her son, her son will bring down the powerful, lift up the lowly, and scatter the proud. The genius of Luke's gospel begins with Mary who praises God and imagines a new world and Luke's gospel then moves us to hear Jesus preach his first sermon and his purpose to bring good news to the poor and release to the captives. And then Luke includes all of those who followed in the faith and hand it on to us today. Mary sings us out of brokenness and into right relationship with God. She sings us away from power and greed and empire and toward mutuality and mercy for all generations. God's entry into human life is possible only through common people like you and me to hope and to imagine with courage how we can participate with God. Mary's Advent song inspires us to sing with her, accept the divine spark within ourselves and sing a new song, a song to lift others. Glennon Doyle's recently published book, Untamed, tells the story of a cheetah named Tabitha. When Doyle takes her daughters to a safari park to see what is called the cheetah run, she is surprised to see first that the zookeeper introduces a Labrador retriever named Minnie. You see, the cheetah had been raised alongside Minnie. The zookeepers anticipated Tabitha's loneliness and that she would bond with Minnie and want to do everything Minnie does. So, in the cheetah run, the first thing we see is Minnie, and then out comes a jeep dragging a stuffed pink bunny. As the jeep takes off, so does Minnie chasing, this, chasing after it in the cheetah run. And then Tabitha comes out, and it's Tabitha's turn. And Doyle watches this magnificent cheetah, muscles rippling under her coat, take flight across the yard to chase a grimy, stuffed pink bunny pulled by a jeep. Yes, Doyle marvels at this creature, it's magnificent, and at the same time turns in disgust as a witness to Tabitha, who was removed from her habitat and has been manipulated to be what others wanted her to be, confined and tamed. Now, some might insist that Tabitha should be grateful for the security of a zoo, a steady meal, and veterinary care. But Doyle knows this is not what God created for a cheetah. In the next chapter, Doyle writes of her marriage, a comfortable, appropriate relationship that most would say she should be grateful to have. And she was, 
And yet she felt, I quote, a deeper, truer love. Doyle discovers her imagination was not a place to escape reality. Her imagination gave her a taste of who God conceived her to be. So she divorces her husband and marries the woman she loves. Thankfully, these three adults remain braided together to parent the son that she bore in that first marriage. One day, her ex-husband calls after their teenage son confided to him that he was gay. And her, son's, her husband said, I quote, I just keep thinking, what if you had not owned who you were? Maybe our boy would not have owned who he is and been brave enough to share it with us. You see, Doyle risked so much to live into what God created her to be. Moved by her faith in things unseen, she inspired their son and perhaps countless others to embrace their true, untamed nature. Doyle writes, when you claim your freedom, you begin to free others as well. Now, I began by describing Advent as a time to imagine with hope and courage a new tomorrow. So imagine what God can do when you let God enter into your life. And then imagine, will you sing? What will you say? What will you become with such divine energy in your presence? But let's make this imagining more tangible. The late William Sloan Coffin often asked his congregation at the Riverside Church in New York City the following, picture yourself in the manger as one of the shepherds at the side of the crib after Mary's given birth. Now put that image in your mind. You've been told by the angels to go see the long-promised Messiah and you see a tired woman postpartum, Joseph with his eyes as big as saucers and an infant. And suddenly Mary hands you the baby and says, here, hold this. And there you are with God's incarnate love in your hands. And you know, just as she knew, this will save the world. But to hold this child requires a price that you too will be called to take a risk. So will you do what is needed for the baby Jesus, to protect him? Will you do what God needs you to do in this world? How will you respond? Will you try to recreate the world as we had it before the pandemic? Or will you rise and think about not what should be or has always been, but to be exactly what God needs you to be at this time? Advent asks us to hope for a new world, to take a bold step and sing or say, my soul magnifies the Lord, and then stand in that long line of those who were inspired by Mary, who worked to bring about a world with mercy and freedom. This is the Advent practice to which we're invited today with hope. This is the Advent practice to sing or say or do what you know God is calling you to do. May you in your own way sing, my soul magnifies the Lord. May it be so, my friends. Amen. On the first Sunday of Advent, eight years ago, this first Sunday of Advent, I was ordained to the ministry of Word and Sacrament in this exact spot in your presence, 
Many of you participated in laying on hands, and you were witnesses to all of that. Ironically, as a minister of word and sacrament, I stand before you without words to say to express my gratitude. You have invited me into your lives at the very essence between faith and doubt and at the edge between life and life eternal. I have witnessed you in grief, I've cried with you, and I've marveled at the miracles that have occurred in your life and watched you walk with newfound grace. I will say you are amazing, Kenilworth Union Church. And I'm looking out in an empty sanctuary and it's so, so strange. But in my mind's eye, I can see you here. I know where you sit on which side and exactly which pew. I know if you arrive early or slip in just as the hymn is concluding. I know when you're sitting with your grandkids. I know when you close your eyes and you fall asleep. And I think that's okay because I know what's going on at home and it's sometimes really hard and yet you're still here. I see the times the music washes over you and how you delight and smile when we walk a baby down the aisle in baptism. I can't mention all of those names. But in my mind's eye, I still see, sitting over here, Al Menke next to the elder statesman Tom Lillard, and I see Bob Malott back there, and over there is Ginger Scoter with that million-dollar smile, and the glamorous, always, Cindy Kaiser, and Barb Gooden lighting up as her grandchildren come in. And over here is John Bryant, who slips in these inspired tunes in his music. So many saints will always accompany me in the balcony of my life. As I look in the sanctuary, I also see Peter, who learned to feed Jesus' sheep. I know that Paul is there as we wrestle with his obscure texts, but we know that he preached us into the faith. And there's James and John and Mary and Martha and all those long lines of disciples. They are sitting here amongst you. And as I look out in the sanctuary, I also see Jesus, because I know that you are the body of this, his church. You belong to him, and you are embodying all of what he calls us to be. You heal, you teach, you serve, you drink a little wine, we have fun, we receive grace when we've fallen, and we pick up and we carry on as Jesus called us to do so. To have served you is my greatest privilege. You are in my mind's eye and my heart forever. In the words of Dag Hammarskjöld, for all that has been, thank you, and for all of us, for all that will be, yes. Our benediction is twofold. It's a charge and a blessing. I charge you the same way Jesus charged his closest followers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbors yourself. And as you go bearing that weighty charge, know that you are always lifted up by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are washed over by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to begin again, and you are loved by God forever. Alleluia. Amen.